reading comes from the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verse 13 to 26, uh, which can be found on page 826 of some of your pew Bibles. Uh, Galatians, chapter 5, verse 13 to 26. Life by the Spirit. Verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that, you are, uh, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Jesus Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This is God's word. Today we have the privilege of hearing from our brother uh, Chris, uh, who's many of you who know. Um, he's a seminary student here and uh, probably very jet-lagged from just coming, coming back from Japan. So uh, let's all welcome him with a smile. morning, everyone. Good to be back. Actually, I'm not too jet-lagged because I've actually been back in the U.S. since Sunday night. Uh, but as Bonan alluded to, uh, over the last seven weeks, I've been serving in Japan on a short-term missions trip, um, and I got back to the U.S. Sunday night and back to Boston Thursday night. How many of you guys have ever been to Japan? Oh, actually, quite a lot of you. So, for those of you guys who've been there, you probably noticed that you know, Japan's a relatively affluent country, but what's not as obvious, you have to kind of look underneath the surface a little bit, is the spiritual need that, that is in Japan. And so my family and I, we went to Japan, whoops, and uh, we went to serve in Japan, and we served in a region of Japan known as Tohoku. It's the, for those who aren't colorblind, the dark green region um, in, in the northeast of Japan. Actually, Tohoku literally means northeast in Chinese uh, Dongbei. And so, specifically, we served at a church in Hirosaki. The city of Hirosaki is the yellow star on the map behind me. And in Hirosaki, uh, what we were doing was uh, we were serving with the church, but along with that, we were also traveling all around Japan, visiting and seeing different ministries around there. Now, Hirosaki, uh, I'm just curious, how many of you guys have ever been to Hirosaki, for those of you guys who've been to Japan? My family... (laughs) 
So this isn't too surprising. I actually asked some of my coworkers who live in Tokyo whether they had ever been to Hirosaki. Same country, right? So they've probably been there. And their answer was also no. See, Hirosaki is kind of like Des Moines, Iowa, where we all kind of know where Des Moines is. We know where Iowa is. But for those of us who live in the bigger cities, uh, most of us have probably never actually been there. And like Des Moines, Hirosaki is relatively flat. And so there's a lot of agriculture there. They grow a lot of rice. They grow a lot of apples. But there are also mountains. And so here's a picture of the tallest mountain in that region. It's called Mount Iwaki. And you can see how the land is pretty flat. There's that farmland there. And yet suddenly jetting out of nowhere is this mountain. It almost has the shape of Mount Fuji, if you guys have ever seen pictures of Mount Fuji. And so um, they actually call it the Mount Fuji of that area. They call it Tsuguru Fuji, where Tsuguru is that region. And so my last week, I got a chance to climb Mount Iwaki. And climbing Mount Iwaki, it wasn't too difficult, but it wasn't necessarily that easy either. I've never climbed Mount Monadnock, but in looking at pictures of the trails, I imagine the difficulty level is similar. And so here's another picture of Mount Iwaki, and you can see that, that stone trail going up the middle. Uh, that's the way that you have to take to get up to the summit. And the interesting thing about this trail is that it's cordoned off on both sides. If you leave the trail, pass, you know, pass by the boundary, best case, you risk getting lost in all the vegetation. Worst case, you step on some unstable rock structure, fall off a cliff and severely injure yourself. It's a little dramatic, but the point is, you know, if you want to make it up to, to the summit, you have to stay on the trail. And in some ways, living a life of faith is similar. So far in Galatians, we've been focused on what is, you know, where do we find our salvation? Are we justified by the law? Or are we justified by faith? Do we rely on our own self-sufficiency? Or are we becoming utterly dependent on Christ? In our passage today, Galatians takes a turn. And it starts to explore, what does it mean to live a life of faith? What does it mean to depend on Christ? What does it mean to live a spirit-filled life? And what we find is that, even though we're justified by faith, that doesn't give us license to do whatever we want. If we say we trust in Christ, we can't turn around and suddenly act as if God didn't exist. It'd be like a three-year-old who says, I trust you, Mommy and Daddy, and as soon as they turn around, goes and touches the hot stove, even though his parents have warned him not to. It'd be like, you know, if we, if we say we trust the weatherman when he says there's going to be torrential downpour today, and then going outside and not wearing a rain jacket or umbrella. It'd be like a basketball player, you know, in a team meeting saying, oh, it's super important to trust your teammates, we have to trust each other and going out on, uh, in the middle of a game and refusing to pass the ball. You see, living by faith has constraints. But what are these constraints? Well, what we see in our passage today is that living a spirit-filled life compels us to serve one another. Living a spirit-filled life compels us to serve one another. Now, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes when I hear those three words, serve one another, it feels like this burden on my shoulders. Like, you know, I'm already stretched by school. I'm stretched by work. You know, we're stretched by taking care of our families. We're stretched by extracurricular activities. We're stretched by sometimes even friends, right, and all the social commitments we have. And the idea of serving one another can feel like this additional burden, this additional thing that's just going to cause us to fizzle out, cause us to burn out. So what does it look like to serve one another in community with vitality and not with exhaustion. 
Well, we see in verse 13 that Paul urges us to serve one another in love. He expounds on this further in verses 22 to 23 by listing a set of virtues that we often call the fruit of the Spirit. Actually, the verse itself calls the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is a set of characteristics, a set of attitudes, a set of qualities that describe how we're to relate with one another, how we're to relate with God. It describes, <clears throat> it describes how we're to be dependent on, on Christ as we seek to serve one another, as we seek to love one another. So, just to illustrate, um, one of my, on the very last day I was in Hirosaki, Martin, who was the long-term missionary who planted the church there, told all the short-term workers that we were going to get a chance to play tourist. We are going to get a chance to see what the area was like in terms of all the different attractions. We were going to go see this picturesque, long, historic wooden bridge that was over this lake. We are going to get to go see the beach. But most of all, most exciting, we are going to get to see this thing called rice art. So rice art is basically these farmers who've taken these different varieties of rice, rice that you know, grows in different colors and shades. And when they plant the rice, they plant them in specific patterns so that as the rice grows up, if you're looking at the field from on high, you can see the designs based on the patterns they planted. So in the past, they planted designs based on Star Wars characters. Um, this year, they planted designs based on manga characters and other movie characters. I'd really want to show you a picture of what this rice art looks like. But the problem is, I don't have one. See, the, the thing is, the car that was going to take the short-term workers around couldn't fit everyone. So Martin kept two of us back, Jay and I, to work at the church while the rest of them went off uh, to go check out all the sites. And, you know, I have to say, the work wasn't that easy. I mean, some of it wasn't too bad. Some of it just involved cleaning and moving a bunch of heavy equipment from one part of the property back into the shed. But the bulk of our, the time that we were spending serving was spreading 700 pounds of dried chicken manure over this field. So we basically open, rip open these plastic bags with our hands, flip over the bags, and, you know, shake out the manure, trying to spread it as evenly as possible across the field, and then using a rake and a rototiller to mix it in with the soil, right? So let me repeat that. 700 pounds of dried chicken manure. Chicken poop. So for, some, for those of you who have green thumbs, you're probably like, what's the big deal? You know, it's just fertilizer. But I grew up in a city. I like concrete. Um, you know, one of the reasons I always liked visiting Tokyo was because I, I love being in a big city. And so working with chicken manure wasn't exactly on my bucket list. And on top of that, it was hot, it was humid, and it was windy. So, you know, as we were pouring these bags of chicken manure around, you know, we were hot and sweaty, and the wind was kind of whipping up the chicken manure dust all over us. And so at the end, we were sticky, and we smelled like manure. Towards the end of our service, I was talking with my friend Jay, and I told him, you know, that I was a little disappointed that we didn't get to see the rice art. I mean, it was my last day in Hirosaki, and his last week, so we wouldn't get the chance. And he responded that he was disappointed too. But then he said five words that have stuck with me. He said, but we got to serve. But we got to serve. You see, as we were serving, you know, spreading this chicken manure around, we could have served without joy, we could have served without peace. We could have been grumbling the whole time because we didn't get a chance to go out. You know, or we could have been serving with uh, jealousy t- towards our, our teammates who had been you know, out having fun while we were working. We could have been serving with anger towards Martin for holding us back. We could have serve and been serving with resentment towards both. Or we could have had the attitude that, well, you know, this is what we signed up for. We came for a short-term mission trip, so this is just what we got to do. 
or served with an attitude of obligation towards Martin, our hosts, who had asked us to do this. But my friend Jay said, but we got to serve. See, he was serving out of a love for Japan. And when I say love, I'm not talking about, you know, like this happy feeling like, oh, I love Japan. It makes me so happy to be there. He was serving out of a love for Japan, a care, a concern, a desire to put the Japanese people above himself, a concern for their well-being, both physical and spiritual. He was serving out of a love for the church there. He was serving out of a love for the children who would finally have a place to play at the church once the grass grew in this field that we were fertilizing. He was serving out of a love for God. Now, when we think about how we can serve, it doesn't have to be spreading manure. It doesn't even have to be in the context of official church activities. You know, serving could be as simple as, you know, noticing that you haven't seen someone in a while and checking up on them to make sure they're okay. Serving could be praying with someone in crisis and committing to continue to pray for them as they're going through that difficulty. Serving could consist of, you know, sending a care package to someone who you know needs some encouragement, whether it be a college student who's left or a missionary. But the thing is, when we serve, we're called not to serve uh, reluctantly. You know, verse 13 doesn't say, serve one another uh, in bitterness, serve one another in resentment, serve one another in obligation. Living the Spirit-filled life compels us to serve one another. And verse 13 says that we're to serve one another in love. But you know, sometimes we just don't feel like loving or serving our brothers and sisters. Sometimes someone does something that makes us angry and we want to lash out. Or sometimes we just want to put someone down in retaliation for how they've hurt us. Or sometimes we want to walk over someone because, you know, we feel like we're right and they're wrong. We live in a broken world. And even as Christians, we face these temptations to give in to these desires. But what if those desires become action? What if we actually follow through with those, those temptations? Why is Paul so insistent that we serve one another in love, listing all these different virtues as the fruit of the Spirit? Well, it's because Paul warns us that we must serve one another or face destruction. We're called to promote holiness and unity in our community or we might suffer negative consequences. Verses 19 through 21 lists 15 different examples of these so-called works of the flesh. 15 examples of actions that run counter against this idea of serving one another in love. 15 examples uh, of actions that can break apart relationships with each other and relationships with God. And what happens if we're doing these 15 actions? In chapter 5, verse 15, Paul says that we risk destroying each other. And in verse 21, he goes on after listing these 15 actions as saying that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And Paul's directing these towards people he calls brothers and sisters. So are we as Christians who who have faith at risk of of not inheriting the kingdom of God? Well... Jesus, in Matthew 7.21, also said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus is saying that not everyone who claims to follow and depend on Christ and has faith in Christ actually does. And he continues in Matthew 25, uh, in describing the way in which he is going to judge the world, where he's, as a shepherd separates sheep and goats, he's going to judge. 
And he says, to the sheep who've seen the thirsty, the hungry, the sick, the imprisoned, the naked, the strangers, for the sheep who've seen these people and served them, he says to them, come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. But to the goats, who've seen the exact same six types of people and ignored them, have not served them, Jesus says to them, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devils and his angels. And so Jesus is talking about eternal punishment, eternal destruction, but sometimes we start to even see this destruction here in the present. So in the late 90s, there was a prominent pastor who started this megachurch on the West Coast. And this megachurch grew to have more than 12,000 people who attended their churches weekly across 15 locations, across five states. But you know, after 20 years of ministry, this pastor resigned. And he resigned after the Board of Elders put out a report where they said that this pastor had, quote, been guilty of arrogance, responding to conflict with a quick temper and harsh speech, and leading the staff and elders in a domineering manner. Within six months of this pastor resigning, this, this megachurch network of 12,000 weekly worshipers dissolved. I mean, many of the churches became independent churches, but some of, some of them just disappeared entirely. See, these actions, these works of the flesh which tear apart our community can destroy us here in the present, but definitely, ultimately, in eternity. Living the Spirit-filled life compels us to serve one another, and we must serve one another or face destruction. Now, I don't know about you guys, but some, this idea of eternal judgment and needing to serve one another begs a huge question in light of everything that we've studied in Galatians thus far, right? How can we say we need to serve one another in order to avoid judgment and at the same time say that we're justified by faith and not by the law? I mean, isn't seeking to serve one another the same as, you know, finding within ourselves, relying on our own self-sufficiency in order to earn our salvation. I mean, Paul says in our passage that the entire law is fulfilled by this command, love your neighbor as yourself. And if we're seeking to serve one another and love one another, isn't that the same as seeking to be saved by the law? I think Paul anticipated this, right? Which is why his emphasis in this passage is on saying that we must serve one another in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the catalyst by whom we're to serve one another, by whom we're to love one another. I think one of the ideas is that, you know, you know love isn't just a feeling, right? Love is concern, care. Love is putting someone ahead of ourselves. And we can't do that if we're relying on our own self-sufficiency. But, but how do we rely on the Holy Spirit? Well, in pointing to the Holy Spirit, Paul reminds the Galatians of their identity, of who they are. It reminds me of, uh, have you guys seen The Lion King? It's an old Disney movie, maybe. So in The Lion King, Simba, the main character of this lion, has run away from his responsibilities out of guilt. And while he's running away from his responsibilities, he has this vision of his dead father, Mufasa, in the clouds. And his dead father, Mufasa, in the clouds, you know, voiced by James Earl Jones, is saying to him, I, I can't speak that deeply, so... Remember who you are. You are my son and the one true king. Remember 
who you are. In the same way, we have to remember who we are. But remember who we are because we remember who Christ is and who we are in relation to Christ. Christ came to this earth. He died for us. He died on the cross so that we could become his people. And we see in verse 24 that those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and with its desires. Those who have... So, if we belong to Christ, we confess our sin. We nail our sin to the cross and we don't take our sin back down from the cross. We nail our sin to the cross and we turn away. John Stott wrote about this. So, when the tempter comes with evil insinuations, we must round on him savagely and say to him, I belong to Christ. I have crucified the flesh. It is altogether out of the question that I should even dream of taking it down from the cross. I belong to Christ. The Spirit dwells within me. So I shall set my mind on the things of the Spirit and walk by the Spirit according to His rule and line from day to day. We set our mind on the things of the Spirit and we walk by the Spirit, which we learn here means that we serve one another in love, in reliance on the Holy Spirit. Now, this doesn't mean, you know, when we talk about this idea of relying on the Holy Spirit and relying on Christ, this doesn't mean we're just like marionettes controlled by a puppeteer, right? It's clear our wills are involved. In, in verse 24, we have crucified the flesh. Christ died. We belong to Christ, but we have crucified the flesh. We have wills. We make choices. We're responsible for our actions. But in exercising our will, in, in seeking to, to make choices, in, in whether we serve or we not serve, we need to seek to rely on the Holy Spirit. Um, it's like, you know, we're like sailors on a sailboat where we're working, but we depend on the wind to push us. We're like a smartphone, where the smartphone by itself, as much as computational power as it has nowadays, is useless if it's not connected to the cloud. We're like engineers on a hydroelectric dam, where all the, everything that we do is utterly pointless if the river is not flowing through the turbines. But what does this mean practically? What does it really mean to rely on the Holy Spirit? Well, here are some ideas. I mean, we must pray that as we live, that God would open our, our eyes to the needs of the world around us. As we keep our eyes open, we pray that God would burden our hearts for a person or a group of people that he's calling us to serve. And as we pray, sometimes that means that we take a leap of faith and we serve, trusting that God is calling us to do this. Sometimes this means we take a leap of faith and we let go of some of our commitments, some of our social commitments, some of our work commitments to make space to serve in the way that God is desiring us to serve. And this means that as we serve, we are asking God for his strength, for his joy, for his peace, but most of all, for his love. And not, not love like a happy feeling, for his love, for his care, for his concern, for the way his heart breaks for those who don't know him. And in the end, when we find that we are serving with joy and peace, we thank God. We give glory to God for what he is doing in us and through us. Living the spirit-filled life compels us to serve one another. And we don't serve one another out of our own strength, out of our own 
uh, skill, out of our own abilities. We serve one another in the Holy Spirit. So we see that we're called to serve one another in love. We're warned that we must serve one another or face destruction. But there's the promise that when we serve one another, we're serving one another in the Holy Spirit. And so it's with the promise that we conclude. In verse 16, we see that those who walk in the Spirit are promised that they will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Those who walk in the Spirit will not, the desires that in the flesh that we face will not turn into action which condemn us, which cause us to be destroyed. Because Jesus came to this earth, lived among us, taught us, he suffered, he died, so that we could be his people, so that he could take us and make us a people for himself. And in being a people for himself, he has, he has called us, he, he has enabled us to, to nail our sins to his cross. He has enabled us to depend on him. He has enabled us to be filled by his spirit with Christ's love. And so, living a spirit-filled life compels us to serve one another. And as we serve one another in the spirit, we walk with one another on this trail of the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you and we thank you because you are holy and you are mighty. You have created the whole world and yet you loved us. You had compassion for us. You had mercy on us and you died for us that we could become your people. And so as your people, God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be filling us with your love, would be opening our eyes to the needs of our brothers and sisters and to the needs of the world. That you would be burdening our hearts, working in us to love enough, to want to serve, to be building our church, to be building the unity of the church, to be serving the world, to be serving the world that they would come to know you as well. Father, grant us your grace upon us. Grant us your spirit upon us that as we serve, that we would not be relying on ourselves and our own self-sufficiency, that we would not be burning out ourselves, but that we would be relying on your strength, that we would be relying on the love that can only come from you. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Chris. Could you please